Today, we're looking at the fact at the, the scenes surrounding the time when Jesus was arrested. And so let's turn again to the book of Luke and look at Luke chapter 22, verse 39 through verse 65. And let's listen carefully to God's holy, inspired word, the very words of God. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not enter into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he arose from prayer and went back to the disciples, found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. The servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Man, I am not, replied Peter. About an hour later, another said, Certainly his fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. This is God's word. Let's pray. O Lord, our God in heaven, you have set before us in this passage the suffering of our Savior, and it humbles us, and we cry, O Lord, to you that you would help us to see it as it is, that we would grieve over it rightly, that for because it is our sin that caused this darkness to reign, but also that we can rejoice because he has suffered what we deserve so that we might be liberated. O Lord, so we pray that you would speak to us and teach us what you would have from this message. Speak to each person here. You, by your Holy Spirit, enable us to come to a greater sight of our Savior. And we pray you bless our time here. Enable us to hear. O Lord, by your grace, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
few years ago, a friend called me and said, my spouse has been arrested. What had happened is there was a minor traffic incident, and this, the spouse thought that it was taken care of, but it was not. And so the next time that person came into contact with law enforcement, their name got brought up as not having dealt with that, of having skipped the court meetings that they were supposed to have. And that person was arrested and taken and put into jail. And so the person, my friend who called me, was extremely distraught, as you can imagine and understand, over what had happened. Because an arrest is a scary experience. And that's what Jesus experiences here. He's taken, in a way, forcefully, though, again, he goes willingly, but that's another story because he's submitting to the Father in it. But he's taken, and he is led off alone, and he experiences the, the fear, the struggle, the trial of an arrest by human government. And that's what we're going to talk about today. As we look at all of these matters, there's really two things I want you to see in all these messages. One is how great his suffering is. We want to go into the depths of it. We want to try and understand to some degree what our Lord experienced. But then we also need to see that all that he did, everything that we're going to talk about in these chapters, 22 through 24, of, of Luke are done for you. They are done for you that you might not have to experience that which Jesus experienced. So today, let's, let's focus in on the arrest of Jesus. And I want us to see three things here. First, the prelude to the arrest, the actual arrest, and then the loneliness of the arrest. So the prelude to the arrest, the actual arrest, and the loneliness of the arrest. Remember, in chapter 22, they are celebrating the Passover. That is the time when the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. It is the festival, remembering that God had brought the people out of Egypt by his mighty hand and outstretched arm, and that they had been saved by the blood of the lamb, and that the houses had not experienced death because they had put the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorposts, and so they sacrificed the Passover lamb to remind them that they will be saved by the blood of the Lamb. After this period, immediately after this supper, they went out to a place that they often went, on the Mount of Olives, which is a mountain just outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is surrounded by mountains. One of them is the Mount of Olives. They went there to pray. And Jesus tells his disciples that they are to pray. And he says, why should you pray? So that you would not fall into temptation. We need to remember that when we experience great trials, it is a time of focused prayer. That we pray and ask the Lord to, that we would not fall into temptation. That's what he is reminding them of. And through, through them, he's reminding us of that point as well. As you come into trials in your life, remember, hear Jesus saying, pray that you won't fall into temptation. But then Jesus left his disciples and he went off to pray by himself. And he prays this prayer that is really kind of shocking to us and is really one of the most profound places of Scripture. He's saying to the, he he prays to the Father as he often did. And remember in the book of Luke, Jesus is all, Luke always highlights the fact that in everything that was happening, Jesus was praying. 
And he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. It is an astounding prayer. Alfred Edersheim, a converted Jew and, uh, in, who lived in Germany in the 19th century, wrote an amazing work, and he actually has several, called uh, The Life and Times of Jesus Messiah. And if you want to study the Gospels in depth and, and, and see their profundity and have someone guide you through them, highly recommend this book. You could take the next year and read it. And he says this, though, about this prayer. We are here in the full view of the deepest mystery of our faith, the two natures of Christ in one person. And indeed it is. Here's the, fa- the son speaking to the father. And he says, if this cup can pass from me let, me, let it be taken away. But not my will, but yours be done. And that leads us to a lot of questions. But I think Edersheim has the right response to this prayer that God has revealed to us that Jesus prayed. And he says this. Was there any thought or view of a possibility that Christ's work could be accomplished without that hour and without that cup? Or did it only mark the utmost limit of his endurance and submission? And then Edersheim says, we dare not answer. We only reverently follow what is recorded. In other words, what he's saying is, there's a lot of questions that come to our mind, but perhaps it's best just to sit in awe and wonder at the depths of Christ's suffering, at the wonder of the two natures of Christ and and the interaction of the Son and Father, and to see the depths of the suffering of our Lord. So that's where I'm going to leave it. Now, except for one point, because it's a a common question that people have had throughout the ages, is, is this. Why would Jesus shrink back from the cup, the, the suffering that he was going to experience. And this is, this is a difficult question because as you read about the history of the church, you will find so many of the people who have died for the, the faith and their testimony of Christ went to their suffering, went to their death with singing and rejoicing. And so how is it that our Savior, in a way, looks like he's almost less than the martyrs? That he can't go with singing and rejoicing to this death. Well, the answer is to understand what he means by the cup. The cup is not simply the suffering. It is the cup of the wrath of God. As Psalm 75 verse 8 tells us, In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. It is the cup of the wrath of God. And that is what Jesus is contemplating, drinking to its dregs for us. And so it's important to understand, whereas the martyrs suffered for the sake of the Father, that is, in testimony to him, Jesus is about to suffer from the Father. And that is a profound difference. It's a totally different thing, which explains the difference between what we see here and what the martyrs experienced. Now, the Father answered this prayer of Jesus, and he did not say that he would take the cup away. 
But he did say, I will do all that I can do to sustain you as you walk through this terrible trial. So at the same time, experiencing the wrath, but also experiencing the help as we read in verse 43. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. But then we see that this prayer continues. It says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. As he contemplated what the suffering that he would experience and the separation from his father, the one time where this would occur in all eternity, for our sakes, he was in agony. He was, in, he was experiencing suffering, and he was praying earnestly. And you know, it's interesting. I looked at, I just looked it up uh, on Google Images. Garden of Gethsemane, which is where he was. And if, if, you, if you look at the pictures of Jesus as he's praying, almost all of them are the same. There's this serene fra- face, like we're praying before a meal, before the Lord with calm. But that is not what we see in the Bible. Jesus experienced the depths of sorrow and agony. His face did not look calm and serene, I can guarantee you. Because he was contemplating the separation from God that he was going to experience. The wrath of God poured out for our sins. And we here we see Jesus is suffering for us, yes. But it also reminds that he's in a way suffering with us. And as we experience terrible things in our lives, like many of us have experienced, those things that still cut, our heart, cut, cut to our hearts, and as our, our friends and brothers and sisters in Ukraine are experiencing in this terrible war, it's easy to wonder, you know, is, is God, where is God in the midst of all this? And we don't know all the answers to God's purposes. But one thing we know is that wherever he is, he is not in a place where he is not unfamiliar with the depths of suffering. He is not as if he's some distant God who has not experienced these things. He has put himself, as it were, on the hook of suffering to come right into the midst of us and enter into the depths of it. And so whatever the answer is, it cannot be that he's not concerned, that he's not with us, that he has no interest in what we're experiencing. We may not know all the answer, but we know that he is God with us who has come right into the middle of our suffering and experienced the depths of it. And so that should encourage us in the midst of it. And he returns to the disciples and he finds them. And what is their situation? They are sleeping. And it says sleeping from sorrow because they too in their spiritual walk are experiencing the sorrow as, as what Jesus has told them about his sufferings begins to dawn on them. They are filled with sorrow. And one thing that when you are very sorrowful, very depressed, it's easy just to sleep. But we must remember, and what he calls them to do is, is why, he says, why are you sleeping? He says, pray, again, that you might not enter into temptation. And so as we're, as we're experiencing the depths of sorrow in our lives, as we all will from one point or another, we need to hear these words of Jesus and know, know that even though it's hard, we need to keep moving towards our Father, 
even in the midst of our suffering, even in the midst of our depression, even in the midst of our struggles, as you will find ample examples of in the Psalms. That is what we see. This is the prelude to the arrest. But then immediately as Jesus is speaking these very words, who should show up but Judas? His close companion, his, his, the person who had been with him for these past years, who had taken care of the, the money, who had, who had done ministry with him, with whom he had slept and ate and walked. And he comes up and he has a crowd of people behind him who are going to take him away and bring him to his punishment. And Judas comes, and how does he betray him? With a kiss. Now, of course, a kiss in that day, was a co- and, and as it is in many cultures still, was a common way of greeting. But it's still somewhat ironic that this embrace as of a friend is the method by which he marks out Jesus as the one that they needed to take. And so Jesus says to him, you are betraying me with a kiss, Judas? It was a shameful thing. And the disciples respond here, and they say, is it time to battle? Should we strike with our swords? And one of them, we know it's Peter, who doesn't say here, says, it doesn't wait for an answer. He gets his sword, and he kind of maybe haphazardly swings it around and cuts off the ear of a servant of the high priest. And Jesus says, no more of this. And he touches the ear of the servant and heals it. Right in front of all these people who've come to take him. And this teaches us a couple things. One is the amazing blindness of the human being. Which once we are convinced of something, we cannot see anything that would go against that opinion. It is our own bias, and we need to be aware of it. We have this. It's not just the world that has this. Christians have this as well. And we need to, we need to be careful that we don't just see things the way we want to see them or the way that we're used to seeing them. We all have a tendency. We need to be ready to listen and see reality. Here in front of them, Jesus is doing a healing that no one else could do, and yet they still say, we're going to take you away and, and eventually bring you to death. But secondly, I think it also is, is a, a little foretaste of what Jesus is all about in this world. Because we see that human beings in this world, though they also do, they do amazing things, they also do terrible things. And they bring destruction upon one another. And what do we see? Jesus comes into that destruction and brings healing. The destruction may occur, but Jesus is bringing healing. And so as we see destruction occur, Again, like we're seeing nightly on our, on, our, on our news feeds and on the phone or wherever. In Ukraine, we need to remember that this is not the last word. Jesus' touch that heals will be the last word. And Jesus shows them in a way, again, gives them, you might say, even an opportunity to repent. Because he says, I've been, I've been here all the time. I've been here openly. None of you took me, he said. But now you're coming in the dark to take me. And in a way that was appropriate because he says, he says but this is what, this, what is happening now. This is the hour 
when darkness reigns. This is the hour when darkness reigns. In other words, darkness is going to reign for a few moments so that light might reign for all eternity. But we're going to see the depths of the darkness. And I just want to point one aspect of this out. We're going to jump down to verse 63. The men who were, who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. And they blindfolded him to humiliate him and demanded. Then they would punch him and say, prophesy, who hits you? Imagine the contempt that is there for Jesus. And they said many other insulting things to him. This is the reign of darkness. This is the reign of darkness. But yet it's one thing to experience the opposition of an enemy. It's another thing entirely to experience the betrayal and the heartbreak of a friend who turns on you. And that's what Jesus is going to experience next. So let's look at this. Third point, the loneliness of the arrest. And when you think about arrest in general, it is a lonely event. You are taken away from those whom you love, from those whom you care about and who care about you. And you're put into the hands of people you don't know what they're going to do. They grab you, they take you, and you're taken away. It's a lonely thing. There you are. As we're imagined sitting in the back of the police car. And then you're put in a jail cell. And you're separated from everybody you care about. And, you know, for those who spend a long time in prison, you know, they may experience some outpouring of interest in them from those whom they care about. But, you know, those people, that they, they don't have those opportunities to renew those relationships and ties, and they gradually diminish. And so it gets lonely. And this is what Jesus experienced, too. All of his disciples fled. They all turned and ran at this point. Except for Peter. Now Peter makes a mistake here. He, he, he does something wrong. But we've got to give him credit. At least he followed a little way behind. He didn't totally give up. And he went. And there he was in the courtyard of the priest. And someone says to him, this man was with him. And, he's, and, and then all the, he says, he denied it. And he says about Jesus, his close friend, his companion, his Lord, his Savior, I don't even know him. And a little while later, someone else says to him, you also are one of them. And he says, I am not. Then about another hour later, someone said, you know, look, we're listening to you. You're a Galilean. They probably knew from his accent. He's from Galilee. And he says, you've you got to be one who is with him. And he says, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then, just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed as the morning came. And there's this remarkable thing that happens. After Jesus, or Peter, had betrayed his Lord, Jesus, in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of this arrest, after having been, all, all these things going on, he turns his head and he looks right at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord. Before the rooster crows, 
you'll deny me three times. And what could he do at that point but what he did? He went out and wept bitterly. Has that ever happened to you? If you had that experience where you did something that you know was against the Lord, and it's as if Jesus had looked right at you, and all you could do was go out and weep bitterly. Because what is happening here, in a way, should make us weep. Because it is Jesus doing this for us. He did it for his disciples. He did it for Peter. He did it for us. We are criminals in the court in, in the, before the throne of heaven. And we deserve to be taken against our will, sentenced to death, and sent to eternal punishment. But Jesus says, I'll be taken instead. Take me. Don't take them. And here we have it. This, what had been planned from eternity being carried out. Jesus being taken for us so that we might never be taken away and arrested by the court of heaven. Jesus experienced this agony for us so that we might never have to experience it. The wrath of God was carried out on him as he experienced it here and as it it culminated in his cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that it might never be carried out on us. Darkness reigned for an hour so that we might reign forever with him in glory, glorious light. So as we contemplate this, brothers and sisters, let it humble us and cause us to weep. But then, raise our hearts and cause us to rejoice. Because he has suffered once, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us back to God, and that this might never happen to us. Hallelujah. Amen.